Welcome to episode 54 of Pod Your Own Adventure. Today's episode, Mountain Survival by Edward Packard. Welcome back to Pod Your Own Adventure. My name's Tom, and an interesting fact about me is this week... I got nothing. I'm sorry. I'm joined today by the host of I Didn't Even Own a Television, the podcast about terrible books, and musician Jay Williams Friedman. Hello. Hello. How are you? Um, yes, an interesting fact about me, I guess, is that uh, when I was very young, 11 or 12, uh, at a school talent show, I performed a rap about manatees. <laughs> All right. Tell me about the manatee, Jay. Um, well, I grew up in Florida, uh, in, in the southern United States, uh, and at this point in the 80s, I guess, no one had anything better to think about other than the safety of manatees, which are these, uh, they're sea cows or dugongs. They're large, mm-hmm. um, very dumb creatures. Uh, so there were a lot of efforts <laughs> being made <laughs> to get people, you know, not to, to drive their, their speedboats wildly through areas where yeah. manatees are. Because manatees are dumb and they'll try to hump boats and <laughs> it's bad. They're just they're just like speed bumps of the sea world, aren't they? Basically, so. yes. Uh, and so, yeah, there Bless was their hearts. It, it was a hot topic in my youth, and uh, <laughs> my friend and I decided we were going to perform a rap song at the talent show, and uh, so we made it about manatees and uh, manatee safety. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! I mean. What else is Florida known for? There's uh, Cape Canaveral. Yeah, Cape Canaveral. Cape at that point? Which uh, I, I was actually born in the Cape Canaveral General Hospital. We're also oh, known right. for crazy people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. Like, was there an educational safety rap you could have made about rockets taking off, perhaps? Or um, It was kind of played out at the time, I think. Uh, I, went to, I went to school in a town called Satellite Beach. Uh, <laughs> So, ah. <laughs> so uh, I feel like the I think even at the age of like 11 or 12, I knew that the uh, space territory was pretty well mined <laughs> when it came to performance. <laughs> <laughs> like even when 12 year olds are going, nah, it's just a bit overdone. Yeah. Then, you know, <laughs> that's when you know, isn't it? Yeah, too on the nose for a 12 year old. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, if this is your first time listening to the show, then hello. Basically, what we do in every episode is I get a multiple path game book and a different guest, I read through the book, the guest helps provide commentary, and hopefully we'll have a lovely time, or we'll probably die horribly. Before we jump into this with both feet, I'm just going to do a bit of admin quickly. The next live show, which we are hosting in London, is less than two weeks away. It's going to be Saturday the 25th of April, and hopefully it's going to be bloody brilliant. Um, I've got a feeling it's going to be. I'm, host- I'm going to be joined by uh, Steve Hogarty. Joe Scribbles and Kate Gray, who are all incredibly funny people and all have their own podcasts that you might have heard if you're li- if you're listening to this one, but you might not have as well. Um, tickets are free. It's at Loading Bar. It's really good. I'm going to start on page one of the book now, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. That seems like the best place to start. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You and your pilot, Jake McKay, are flying over the Canadian Rockies when the engine begins to sputter. Suddenly, you're caught in a blinding snow squall. What seemed like a beautiful spring day has turned into a wintry nightmare. We're going down, Jake cries. Like, this book does not waste any time. No, man, yeah, it's right in it with both feet. (laughs) We are in a plane, we're flying over Canada, we're going down. It's also very rugged, so I'm glad you chose this one. It it feels very American and manly. (laughs) Or Canadian, I guess. 
I mean, yeah, maybe that's like kind of there's the fear of Canada. It's written by an American author. Like, what's going on? We don't know what it's like. People don't lock their doors over there. There's so much plaid. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Jake is able to set the plane down on a smooth, grassy area just at the timberline. It hits the ground hard, bounces once, and slides into a grove of stunted pine trees. The left wing smashes against a tree, and the plane spins wildly around, then suddenly stops. Fortunately, you're not hurt, just shaken up a bit, but Jake's ankle seems to be sprained. He can't put any weight on it. To make matters worse, the radio stopped working on impact. Oh man, that's so awful. Hu- <laughs> yeah. It's just like... a, uh, a comedy of errors. <laughs> oh, J- Jake's in a bad way, the radio's in a bad way. We've crashed our plane. But there's surely there's a silver lining at some point. Yeah, definitely. So you hu- <laughs> Otherwise, there'd be no adventure to choose. <laughs> <laughs> we just die of exposure on the first night. Oh, jeez. Oh, All the rest of the pages are blank. <laughs> <laughs> Turn to page 40. There's, there's nothing here. We're already dead. <laughs> the two of you huddle down in your seats. Jake has wrapped his injured ankle on a red plaid scarf. So, oh man about, uh, <laughs> what are we saying about the Canadians oh wow <laughs> I'm afraid you're pretty far off course he says as I scanning the map our only hope is for you to make it to that ranger station we saw on the way in I'd say it's about 9 miles east of here it looked abandoned from the air but if it's like most of the stations in this area it's stocked with canned food and an emergency radio transmitter you look over at Jake you know he is trying to encourage you I'll go you tell him you listen carefully as he explains how to send a radio distress signal Jake does his best to smile. That was just a frontal squall that hit us. Look, the sun's coming out. You'd better get going so you can reach the station before dark. They aren't going to explain what a frontal squall is, just that we yeah, don't that... have to worry about it. It seems very technical to just toss off like that. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, a frontal squall. Sure. Okay. You check your backpack, which holds a light sleeping bag, a poncho, a day supply of food, matches, and a first aid kit. You're wearing a hooded parka, wool socks, gloves, and a good pair of hiking boots, the right clothes for a long hike. After making sure that Jake is comfortable, you strap on your backpack, say goodbye, and start walking. You set out at a brisk pace across the high, rugged land. Since it's almost noon, the sun must be in the south. If you keep it on your right, you know you'll be headed east. Nine miles doesn't seem like a long distance. On a gentle, well-groomed trail, you could easily cover it in three hours, but in these mountains it could take much longer. Hmm. Within an hour, it has become cloudy again. They're putting a lot of faith in my hiking abilities. Yeah. <laughs> this is a yeah. This is a pretty pretty intense, intensely long monologue for the opening of a choose your own adventure book too. Yeah, like I I do appreciate how it just didn't waste any time. Like we're in now. Let's go. <laughs> I like how it started out with action and then rapidly devolved into a description of every article of clothing you're wearing. <laughs> <laughs> Being miserable in the mountains. Yeah, bloody Canada. <laughs> A cold north wind has sprung up. The temperature is falling. You flip up the collar of your parka, trying to keep warm. Now ahead of you, you see what looks like an animal trail, running north-south. Alongside it, blocking your way, is a high rock wall, too steep to climb. The shortest route around the wall would be to cross the roaring stream to your right. The stream is about ten feet wide, with water boiling up in a white torrent. You can't judge its depth. Probably you can get across it by jumping from rock to rock, but one slip could put you in a lot of trouble. The safest thing to do would be to follow the animal trail through the pine forest to your left, but that would take you in a northerly direction, possibly far out of your way. So we can either go follow the trail to our left, or we can cross over the stream. Okay, well, I feel like they're setting us up 
uh, to go down the trail on the left and end up in some sort of imminent danger. Um, yes. So <laughs> using my, my powers of uh, authorly deduction, I'm going to choose to cross the stream. Sure thing. I feel we should get this out of the way early on. How old do we think our character is in this? Oh, geez, you know, I hadn't thought about it, but in my mind I figured old enough to have a big beard. <laughs> I mean, that seems about right. Um, the book's all about survival, and I feel that if you you need a, a beard, or at least a fake beard, so that you can just strap on at some point <laughs> if you're going to have a hope of surviving. It, no one's ever going to believe you've been lost in the woods if you can't muster up a decent <laughs> beard. Exactly, yeah. You walk across the raging stream, looking for a place to cross. In a little while, you come to a section that is strewn with boulders. You tighten your backpack and leap from rock to rock. You're almost across when your right foot comes down on a loose rock, throwing you off balance and into the icy water. Spray flies in your face as you frantically clutch at a jammed log, and then half swim, half wade to the opposite bank. So we're wet and we've kind of embarrassed ourselves, but hopefully nobody was around to see that. And I'm pretty sure we're alive. <laughs> it seems like it, at least temporarily, until frostbite yeah. sets in. <laughs> You're soaked to the skin and shivering so hard that you can barely breathe. You try to warm up by walking, heading southeast along the base of the rock wall. If you can find a place to scale it, you can head straight east again, toward the ranger station. But your plunge in the stream has left you badly chilled. You're not sure that you can go on. There are some brushwood and dry pine branches nearby. It might be a good idea to start a fire and dry off completely. You thought you had plenty of matches, but one pack is soaked, and the pack that stayed dry has only one match left. Should you use your last match? Maybe it's more important to keep moving. If you take time to build up a fire and warm up, you may not reach the ranger station before dark. Oh. This is tricky, actually. Um, yeah. <laughs> my first thought was definitely to go with the fire, but the one match dilemma really increases the yeah. risk here. Um, like, most of the time, it's... At this point in the book, it's like, do you want to go left or do you want to go right? Yeah. Do you like pineapple or do you like banana? But this is... Okay, so pay attention, kid. <laughs> if you, you can easily die here. Yeah, like oh, right out of the gate with um, life-threatening decisions. And I feel <laughs> like whoever wrote this like really wants you to understand how to survive in real life. I'm already getting yes. this, this impression. <laughs> um, so I'm going to say... There's going to be a footnote on one of these pages that says, this is a very fine survival guide. Keep it with you at all times. Exactly. And based on that, I think I'm going to say build a fire because that, or use the last match, because that seems like what a, a survival instructor would tell me to do in real life. Yeah. That sounds about right. There's always another way you can build a fire later, but right now, this is an emergency, damn it. Yeah, definitely. Okay. You gather some dried pine branches and twigs. Taking great care to shield your only match from the wind, you light the fire. It catches. Soon you, have a good bla Soon you have a good blaze going. It takes a couple of hours for you to get really warm and dry. Now you must hurry. The sky is darkened and the wind is blowing stronger, and a fine light snow is stinging your cheeks. So we've, we've, we've got a good blaze going. Is the next choice going to take us to page 420? I hope so. <laughs> Wait, I, I, that would be a really long choose-your-own-adventure book. <laughs> that's <laughs> like, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, J.R.R. Tolkien's choose-your-own-adventure. <laughs> Look, he wants to know that we're prepared for all emergencies in case we get stranded in the Canadian mountains. It's important to know. I Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that this book exists on many levels. <laughs> Continuing on a few hundred yards, you discover a trail up the rock wall, a steep mountain gully. The center line of the gully looks like the easiest way up, but you're concerned about the big rocks near the top. Some of them look pretty loose. Maybe we should climb up the side of the gully, even though it's steeper and the footing less secure. You have a vague memory of someone saying that you shouldn't climb up the center line of a mountain gully, 
Or did they say you shouldn't climb up the side of a gully? You can't remember. Oh. Okay, so. Do we want to climb up the side or the center line of this thing? Well, considering I have a vague memory of someone telling me either option, um, <laughs> I feel like at this point I should just throw caution to the wind and climb up the center. Right up the center? Yeah. Sure thing. That's but... where we should go. Okay, keep my finger on the page because this is just like <laughs> the book testing how testing our own survival skills. Yes. Like, there's nothing we can go off here. <laughs> you start up the center line of the gully. Once in a while, you slip on the loose shale, but you make steady progress. You're about halfway to the top when you hear a thunderous sound above you. A huge grey boulder is roaring down the gully, straight at you. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> God damn it. Bits and pieces of rock and shale fly from it, sending clouds of dust into the air. You try to scramble up the side of the gully, but you don't have the extra few seconds you need. The end. Oh, man. <laughs> that was abrupt. All right. <laughs> so we got killed by a giant rock. All right. I guess this is exactly how long I would last. In the Canadian wilderness. <laughs> Honestly, I'm surprised I made it to the gully. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'd be the guy faking the ankle injury back in the plane going, man, I hope my friend brings back help sometime soon. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I can't really see myself in any of these situations. <laughs> By the time like any of this happened, I already would have had some kind of fatal anxiety attack, I think. <laughs> what am I doing here? I make raps about manatees. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Shall we try climbing up the side of the gully? Uh, yeah, I, I guess uh, that seems like the most, uh, the, the best yeah. option. There are 25 possible endings, and damn it, we're going to see a few of them. <laughs> it's a long, exhausting climb up the side of the gully. About halfway up, a huge boulder crashes down the center, scaring you out of your wits. <laughs> Good thing you weren't the sucker that climbed up the middle. <laughs> <laughs> right, sorry. You'd have, to, you'd have to be a real chump to go up there. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately, you're clear of its path, and in another half hour, you reach the crest. You look out over the high plateau. Much of the land is wooded with dwarf pines. Some of it is only barren rock with patches of snow here and there. It is now about three o'clock. You know the ranger station lies to the east, but the sun is hidden by clouds, so you can't be sure which way east is. You think you'll be heading east if you follow the creek to your left. You've always thought you had a pretty good sense of direction but you recall that cliffs and ridges in this area generally run north-south. Maybe you're heading east now, even though east seems to be your left. If it is and you follow the creek, you'll be heading north instead of east. Jesus. So, <laughs> wow. get your compass, Jay. Yeah. <laughs> do I, we want to go straight? <laughs> I had no idea I needed to take notes. <laughs> okay, do we want to continue straight ahead, or do we want to tr trust our sense of direction and follow the creek? Um, I think I want to continue straight ahead because it's it's been made abundantly clear that... uh. Somebody has told me that's the way to do it. This this somebody is becoming increasingly omnipotent as well. Yeah. Do you think that the somebody is the author and we're going to get to the escape and just Ebba Packard sitting there in an armchair being like, ah, he taught you well, son. Yeah, and this is my consultant, survival expert, uh, Bear Grylls. <laughs> ah, okay, so we're going straight ahead. Like... This is going to turn into one of those, if we leave at three o'clock and it takes us three hours to travel nine miles, and somebody <laughs> uh, else leaves at, at 12 o'clock, but they've got a bicycle, what time do we collide? <laughs> Precisely the time where you are eaten by a bear. Yeah. <laughs> Lunchtime. Yeah. Okay. You continue straight ahead through rocky, tree through rocky terrain, studded with clumps of stubby pine trees. You glimpse the luminous disk of the sun as the clouds thin out momentarily. That was lucky. You're beginning to veer too far to the south. You head more to the left and quicken your pace. 
Suddenly you see the ranger station on the ridge up ahead. The crudely built shack at the edge of the tree line looks as beautiful as a palace to you. <laughs> Alright. Beautiful. <laughs> like, I can understand what they're going for there, but... Yeah, and I mean, once again, taking the audience into account, <laughs> I don't know if that's going to have the effect that they're going for. I know, like, at, at 12... Palace was definitely not on my list of like top twenty beautiful things. <laughs> All right, you run towards it, throw open the unlocked store, and look around inside. There is a pack labeled "emergency food," a rickety, rickety cot, an axe, and a can filled with matches, but no radio. Your eyes rest on a piece of paper taped to the wall. On it are written these words: "There is a radio in the nearest ranger station, eight miles to the south, compass bearing one eighty degrees." So he found an axe in this thing. Is this book suddenly going to change track entirely? And we're going to, I was, to fight for a I was just going to say, I, I'm a big fan of just horror movies all over the spectrum from good to bad. And I'm, <laughs> I'm really getting some deja vu here now. And uh, this, yeah. Yeah, this feels like, uh, like some zombies or something like that are going to work their way into the plot line at any moment. Not just zombies, Canadian zombies. That's true. <laughs> Lumberjack zombies. <laughs> that, ha- that has to be a film surely canadian zombies um yeah i'm sure <laughs> i know that the the cbc uh i'm actually a fan of quite a bit of canadian television and it seems like uh they'll fund just about anything that has canadian in the title so it seems pretty likely <laughs> all right excellent eight miles eight miles farther after all the walking you've done you don't want to take another step it's not fair but that's the reality of the situation you curl up on the cot knowing that you must be on your way at dawn you're exhausted from your trip and fall asleep instantly. Shortly after daybreak, you awaken to the sound of roaring wind. Dark clouds are racing by overhead. It, it's happening. No, no. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely... Dark clouds overhead. <laughs> the unknowable horrors are about to emerge, for sure. <laughs> the air smells cold and damp, as if snow is on the way. You open a can of soup and, hear it on the, and heat it on the tiny alcohol stove in the, in the hut. The hot soup, along with some stale biscuits spread with a little honey, make you feel a hundred times better. But now you have eight miles to go over rugged, wild land. As you step outside, you find a trail leading past the cabin. You know the ranger station is to the south. Should you keep the morning sun on your left or on your right? Oh, man, I have to do some calculations now. (laughs) (laughs) So I know it's to the south. The morning sun rises in the east. So if I'm facing south, the sun will be on my left. So I need to keep it on my left. All right. I'm pretty sure that's right. I remember- I could be totally wrong. I have the worst sense of direction <laughs> in the world. Um, I'm trying to remember, like, there was another book. I can't remember the title of it, but um, I haven't covered it on the show yet. But one of the choices in it needs you to, like, decide whether you go to Antarctica or um, the Arctic. Like, and depending on what time of year it is, then you'll be able to defeat a vampire because either it'll be, like... Oh, always night or always day, a- yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like, the book doesn't give you any sort of hint of that. It just just expects you to know that. (laughs) Well, I I was just thinking, too, this is kind of unique. I feel like um, at least up until this point, all of our choices have been fairly subjective, you know, or at least, you know, required some sort of guessing. Whereas this is almost like a math problem, just like you were talking about earlier. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Yeah. Keeping the sun in your left, you follow the trail across a high plateau bristling with scrubby pine trees that have managed to survive in the harsh climate. On and on you trudge through the strange and beautiful landscape, until at last you see a tiny cavern ahead of you. It must be the other ranger station. 
You rush into the cavern and take stock of its contents. Matches, firewood, a small wood stove, plenty of food, a backpack filled with emergency gear, and a radio. So at this point, we've probably left Jake behind for about 24 hours. <laughs> yeah, what's up with Jake? They need some uh, interstitials or something. Yeah, just like, meanwhile, back at the plane, Jake, <laughs> it's Jake just going, oh, oh, oh. Anyway, back to the adventure. Yeah. Things were looking really bad at the plane. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor buddy. You quickly get a fire going and start heating a pot of soup. You'll soon be enjoying hot soup and biscuits with honey. Meanwhile, you follow the instructions for sending distress signals on the radio. The set of the set is of the simplest kind, designed only for one-way emergency transmission. You send out a call for help, but you can't be sure your signals are being heard. Do those radios exist? <laughs> it seems like uh, if you're going to go through the trouble of building a radio that sends, it might as well receive, but I don't know. I've never been stranded in Canada. It's true, I haven't, and my knowledge of ranger stations is, is dreadfully limited. <laughs> I mean, this feels like it should be vital information. I feel like my childhood led me to believe that like, I'd be getting stuck in quicksand a lot more. I'd be like, getting caught in the mountains a lot more. <laughs> Need to know how to gingerly walk across to hot lava. Things like that. <laughs> exactly. That night, a wild storm howls outside. But you sleep well. Okay, so Jake's been there for 48 hours now because we're having another sleep at this station. It's good to know we're sleeping well, though. I wish they yeah. would let us know what kind of dreams we're having. Like a rock. <laughs> After a good breakfast, you get on the radio and try to send more distress signals. If only you could be sure that someone was receiving them. It's hard to just wait. A map on the wall shows a road only 15 miles farther east, but in these mountains you'd never get that far in one day. You would have to sleep outside overnight. And if you got lost, you and Jake might never make it off the mountain alive. What? <laughs> now we care about Jake. It's been like... Stop worrying about Jake. Yeah. Just cut your losses, protagonist. You've already wandered like miles and miles away from Jake, who's <laughs> probably been like ravaged by wolves by now, but whatever. Yeah. Oh, poor buddy. He doesn't even have an axe. Yeah. Okay, so are we, are we going on the road or are we waiting for help? Um. Okay, so the part of me that, that wants to win this book is going to say that we should we should wait for help because that seems like the advice once again you would get from a real life survival expert. Yes. So, that yeah, let's right. do it. Let's wait for do help. You... Well, I mean, the other one seems like certain death. Do you want me to keep my finger on the page and read it? Yeah, yeah, let's <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, it sounds like more fun. Yeah. <laughs> you pack up your sleeping bag, two boxes of waterproof matches, a jar of honey and some chocolate bars. Then you head east. The first day you cover about half the distance to the highway. Exhausted, exhausted from the past pace you've set, you have a quick supper of biscuits, nuts, and dried apples. Eat a chocolate bar for dessert and turn in for the night. Would we... Are biscuits and nuts, like, a good thing to keep with us if we're hiking? Because... Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Apparently, like, on the Appalachian Trail, there are bears, and people will get attacked by bears. They have, like, a Snickers bar in their tent or anything. And, I don't know, Canada... Seems kind of crazy to me from as far as this book is concerned. Well, I have to be honest, too. He keeps going back to the, the biscuits and honey. <laughs> I, I don't know if, <laughs> if it's the just what I read growing up, but like I associate honey with bear attacks for sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. That's it's got to happen one of these endings in this book, surely. I'd yeah. be disappointed if it doesn't. Uh, yeah, there's You're definitely awake. bears and wolves lurking behind every corner of this book, and I hope we encounter some <laughs> shortly. Alright, you're awakened at dawn by a hard, driving rain. Your sleeping bag is soaked through. You're wet and shivering, dangerously chilled. Hypothermia could set in. You must build a fire, fast. The trees around you are all young evergreens. 
Dried twigs and branches are scarce, but you find a few. Soon you have a small fire going, but you need wood and plenty of it. You can't find any sticks. You know that you must find some pine boughs and heat them on your tiny fire to get a good blaze going. If only you had an axe. <laughs> Why do we bring it with us? God damn, we're an idiot. <laughs> Was that an option that we passed up? No. Or? Oh. Well, well then... Our character deserves to die. <laughs> well, this is fucked up and not fair. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You're up, you're up your hands, trying to keep them warm. In those few seconds, your little fire flickers out. You find more twigs and start another fire, but the same thing happens. Now it's sleeting hard. You realise that your luck has run out. You're too sick to go on. You're never going to make it off this mountain. The end. That's it? The end. We're dead now. These endings are so abrupt. Yeah. It's... I'm sorry, I can hear a noise in the background. Oh, I'm sorry. It's my dog. My wife just got home and he's freaking out. Uh, we're shutting the door right now. Sorry. That's about okay. That. I, I, I like it when... I like it when we have dos- do- uh, dogs guest appearing on the show. Yeah, we have hardwood floors, so he's quite... Uh, <laughs> he sounds like a tap dancer when he gets excited. It's... Hear, hear, hear his heels clacking across the floor. Yeah, exactly. Well, hopefully it should be over now, yeah. Yeah, it sounds fine. <laughs> All right, so let's wait for help. The more you think about it, the more you think you better stay put. If the radio works, signaling your location, a rescue helicopter will probably be sent to where you are. You've got to be waiting, ready to lead the rescue team to Jake. The cavern is safe, there's plenty of firewood, you'll have no trouble keeping warm. You could live here for days with no problem, but Jake needs help right away. <laughs> you keep... <laughs> <laughs> it would have been nice to think of three days ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you keep working on the radio, hoping you're heard. Two nights have passed. <sighs> oh, Jake. <laughs> Buddy. Yeah, he's gone. At this point, just cut your losses. <laughs> mm. If if I've Jake is web- still around, he's already like devolved into some crazy like half animal survival state, <laughs> and he'd probably yeah. eat your arms and legs. He's been bitten by a werewolf. Yeah, exactly. Oh man! <laughs> At first, the weather was bad: snow, sleet, and high winds. And you were glad you stayed in the cabin. But this morning, the sun rose in a cloudless sky. You can hardly bear the thought of staying in the cabin another day. Most of all, you're worried about Jake. He must be hungry and weak. Now that you know the way, you could bring him food and make a fire to warm him, but you've learned that at this altitude, the weather can change very fast. If you leave the safety of the cabin, you might never get back to the plane. So we can either stay in the cabin, or we can set out for the plane. Oh my god, so this is like super rough, because I know yeah. I know the right answer here is to stay in the cabin, but yeah. what I want to do is go back and help Jake, and this is pretty heavy to drop on, you know, a preteen. <laughs> I don't know what, like, the target audience for these books are, like... Do you think there's, like, 30, 35-year-old men who need... Who want to learn more about survival? (laughs) And and these are, like, being marketed directly to them, like... Yeah. Make learning fun. (laughs) Ray Mears hasn't put out a chooser in adventure yet, so Everpack is cornering the market. (laughs) I'm looking at the front of this book, and there are some, like, um, testimonials from audiences. And, like, it's even written... Like somebody's written their name in the front, Nicholas L from class three C, age thirteen. Oh man! And <laughs> the testimonials are like Emma Whitehouse, age seven. These are the best books I've ever read. Roger Robert Gladman, age ten. I didn't like reading much, but I loved this. Oh man, that's always the best compliment to get as a creator of anything. Is I don't like blank, but I love your version of it. <laughs> Just warms your I mean, heart. <laughs> You make rap music, so that you must get that a lot from oh, yeah. people on Twitter. And and I definitely I don't begrudge 
anybody for enjoying, you know, what I do. Wow, that sounded cocky. But it is kind of strange <laughs> sometimes when people are like, I don't really like rap music, but I like what you do. It's like, oh, that's a weird compliment. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'll take it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so um, we're, age- we're 13 years old. Do we want to leave our safety in the cabin to go and find our friend, or do we want to abandon him to the wolves? I think, honestly, I'm going to abandon him to the wolves, because, uh, okay. let's be real, Jake died, like, three or four days ago. <laughs> <laughs> like, I imagine we're going to get back there, and there's just, like, he's managed to scratch his way out, he's pulled his... <laughs> he's managed to, like, pull himself out of the wrecked cabin, he's... He's gone feral. Yeah, and even if he is still alive, he's going to be super pissed at you. <laughs> Exactly, yeah. Alright, you want to help Jake, but you feel lucky to have made it to this cabin. No use pushing your luck trying to get back to the plane. As the long hours pass, you keep the fire burning and fiddle with the radio, waiting for help. A whole week passes before anyone comes. By the time a helicopter finally lands near the cabin, your food supply is almost used up. Have you picked up my friend? You ask the pilot as he steps out of the chopper. He stares at you for a moment, as if he hasn't heard, then nods his head. We picked him up. We dropped supplies, but he didn't have the strength to find them in the snow. We only wish we could have reached him in a few days sooner. You don't answer. It's all you can do to fight back the tears. The end. Oh, man. (laughs) That's so bleak. It is. (laughs) That, like, got me. Yeah. Poor Jake. He's dead now. Okay, (laughs) so I guess we do need to go look for Jake, because (laughs) apparently while while the author of this has a uh, agenda of teaching survival, he also wants to make sure that you're still a good person. Well, no, I mean, like, he's teaching survival. We made it out in One Piece, so... That's true. <laughs> yeah, so maybe like, that's if, the good ending. Maybe all the rest of them are even worse. Back, <laughs> if we go back to try and get Jake and we just die on the way there, <laughs> and then Jake dies, and then it's the bleakest ending imaginable, yeah. then you know what? Fair play to you, the author. <laughs> all right. You pack up as much food and supplies as you can carry and begin to retrace your steps to the plane. Fortunately, the weather holds. You're rested and have plenty of food. You know the way and, have, and you have surprising energy. In the few days you've been in this mountain wilderness, you've grown, to be, you've grown used to the high altitude. You've become leaner, tougher, and smarter. Biotic. This is, this is an origin story. Yeah. <laughs> this is. I hope that this is a prequel to uh, Choose Your Own Adventure Superhero novel. Or maybe yeah. like a Indiana Jonesy kind of tie-in. I mean, there are quite a few of these books which this could feasibly be a uh, prequel to. There was one where we had to, like, escape from a destabilized nation after, like, a global oil crisis See, that split America into three different nations or something. I think I remember that. Uh, I used to, I, I have, like, devoured these books as a kid, so I, mm. I probably have run into a lot of them. I definitely remember getting to the point where I was asking the library to specifically order or, or, you know, make requests from other libraries right. of choose-your-own-adventure books because I had read all of theirs. <laughs> so, and it's it's something that I've heard mentioned in the past on your show, too, where it was definitely like I was into them because this is the closest I could get to playing a video game while still reading a book. <laughs> so, yeah, like tricking, basically tricking your parents. Yeah, like, I'm reading. <laughs> so, anyway. <laughs> all right. The sun, uh, the sun has set and darkness is creeping up the valley when you reach the plane. Jake is in bad shape, cold, shivering and weak. You can tell that his leg is hurting more than he'll admit, but in a few minutes you have a good fire going outside the plane. It radiates warmth into the cockpit. 
Soon you have hot soup ready. As Jake sips it, he grins and says, I'd know if I would have made it back through the night if you hadn't come back. Back through which night? <laughs> this is like the fifth night. <laughs> yeah. This, but like, like, I don't know if I'm just not envisioning it properly because I'm having a really hard time, like, you know, conjuring a mental image of these circumstances because they the timeline jumps around a lot. But I feel yeah. like we've been away from Jake for way longer than one night at this point. Well, yeah, like it said, we went to the first station, stayed there a night, then went to the second station, stayed there a night, waited two more nights when we were sending out the distress signal. Now we're going to go back and get him. And he's all like, man, like I didn't think I was going to make it through night three, night four. <laughs> you don't even want to know. <laughs> These other nights were not so bad, but this one was rough, my friend. <laughs> oh, poor Jake. Yeah. You drink, your, you drink your soup and look at the moon rising over the mountain. You're thankful that you and Jake are safe for the moment, but the two of you are still marooned. When no help comes the next day, you begin to worry. By mid-afternoon of the second day, you are sure that you and Jake will never be rescued. Then an airplane swoops out of the sky, dipping its wings. You and Jake let out a whoop of joy. The next morning, a helicopter sets down and lifts the two of you off the mountain. Wait, the next morning a helicopter? Yeah, they, they evidently don't think this is a very urgent situation. So. <laughs> well, we found them. Let's give them another 12 hours to sweat it out. <laughs> Let's allow them to choose their own adventure. <laughs> the pilot shakes your hand as you climb aboard the chopper. You've got what it takes, he says the end <laughs> so i'm guessing that's like the ultimate good ending i think so yeah like the pilot says you've got it what it takes we we shake hands as a close-up on our biceps <laughs> so i just survived Roll credits in the wilderness for what appears to be a week and the reward i get is a handshake from a macho man <laughs> <laughs> i'm a little disappointed yeah. i was hoping there'd be a hidden treasure or something somewhere yeah, um, there's a drawing of a man in, sitting in a helicopter with a cup of tea, and he looks proud of us. It's probably Is he giving a thumbs actually. up? I like to imagine <laughs> there's some thumbs up happening at this yeah, moment. Yeah, there's, there's some thumbs up action going on here. <laughs> I'm going to go off topic drastically here and talk about um, the films of Andy Sidaris. Have you heard of that director? Oh, uh, yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, one of his films called Guns. I don't mean to spoil the ending, but it's one of my favorite endings to a film ever in that the two main characters run at each other from across from both opposite ends of a bridge, of a beach. Uh, high five, do the bicep close ups thing, stare into each other's eyes and then it just rolls credits. And quite frankly, that is simply the best ending to a film. <laughs> that's I mean, that's the subtext of, of so many, so many endings to films, but they never really just hang it out there like that. Yeah. You know what? In the words of Garth Marenghi, I know authors who use subtext and they're all cowards. <laughs> no, I actually, yeah, that's great. Um, I, I'm, I'm also a big fan of the uh, pro-textual ending uh, in that uh, there, there's a part of me that still like yearns for everything to end like a Toyota commercial from the 80s with like a super slow-mo high five. So <laughs> I feel like every triumphant moment deserves a slow motion high five. Oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so this book, like 10 high fives at the end, they just weren't written. You have to imagine them. Yeah, I also imagine that we high-fived Jake when we came back to him with, like, a crate of soup. <laughs> yeah, high-fived him in the broken arm, and he was like, ow! <laughs> Dude, could you not? Yeah, I've been, I've been ravaged by wolves. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know what? When it said that you can see the moon rising, I was expecting them to go a bit supernatural. I was really hoping, yeah, at some point, like I said, there would be a treasure hunt or maybe some mm. werewolves or something a little less just kind of stock survivalism here. I I do feel like I've learned a lot, and uh, if I should get lost in the woods, apparently what I need to do is just stay in one place for as long as possible. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I kind of do appreciate how dry this is, and there's not really like any sort of supernatural stuff going on. But also, like, I mean, sorry to disappoint Jay. <laughs> if you're expecting something, if you're expecting vampires or werewolves, yeah. you listen. I'm bummed, but I'll survive. We've got high fives, so it bounces out. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, one more thing before we go back to an earlier uh, choice in the book: uh, guns and hard ticket to Hawaii, and a lot of films by Andy Sedaris. All pass the Bechtel test, so <laughs> I'm, that's I'm, a fun fact. It's a good fact to know. Um, yeah, because when it comes to like stupid uh, action media, in in a, you know, I do a podcast about books, so I I know this pretty intimately as well from the the literary side. Is that there there is a tendency to be very very you know focused on on <laughs> the masculine experience of it. Uh, yeah, and and it is pretty nice to see something stupid and fun that also has ladies involved in a non trivial way. Yeah, definitely. I think that the um, the DVD collection of Oz Works is uh, Girls, Guns, and G-Strings, which tells you everything you need to know about the director. <laughs> yeah. He's incredible. I love him. I love him so much. All right, so do you want to go right back to the start of the book and see what happens if we don't get dunked in the water? Yeah, that sounds good. Actually, though, is it okay to take a minor break here just for a minute? Yeah, by all means. Um, I'm going to play podcast jingle. Why not? Okay. It's like a... It's like a it's like I'm on I don't even own a TV. Here we go. All right. And welcome back to Podrian Adventure. Uh, so we are in Canada. It's horrible. And we're trapped in the mountains as well. Oh... I'm sorry to any Canadians listening, your country is lovely. Um, we've come across a river creek, we can either cross it, and we, if we do that we know we'll fall in and get wet and soggy and sad, or we can follow the trail to our left. Uh, at this point, what I think do do? we should follow the trail to our left, it seems like the sensible option. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know, we've already been dunked once this, this adventure, don't want to ha- happen again, but we'll see. That night a wild storm howls outside. I've gone to the wrong page. Um, oh no! <laughs> okay, follow the trail to your left, turn to page 8. Following the trail to your left, you head north along the edge of the granite wall that blocks your way to the east. You go higher and higher. It's a long, exhausting climb, but it seems to be the only safe way over the mountain. At last you reach a plateau well above the... Ti- At last you reach a plateau well above the timberline. Your route east is no longer blocked, and you strike out across the high, barren terrain, glad to be headed towards the ranger station. Though the way is clear now, you're exposed to a hev- to a powerful wind. Within moments, a heavy bank of clouds sweeps across the mountain. Suddenly, the, the, squ- oh, the squall hits you. You try to stay calm. All you can see through the driving snow is the ground beneath your feet and the blurred outline of nearby rocks. Using the wind as a compass, its direction seems to be holding steady from the north. You try to keep on course. Then you see a hollow place in the rocks, almost like a cave, a refuge from the wind and snow. Maybe you should take shelter from the weather until the weather improves. Then you remember Jake... He's counting on you to help him. <laughs> it's like just the word Jake at this point like, makes me laugh. Yeah. It, there's, yeah. 
the 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 reoccurring Jake guilt in this book is pretty hard. <laughs> Jake guilt, that's incredible. That's just what we're feeling throughout this entire thing, isn't it? Just oh yeah, Jake. Oh man, sorry, buddy. Survivor guilt. Choose your own adventure. I was busy finding buried gold. Yeah, <laughs> and learning magic from from Zeus. <laughs> uh, that that was a different book. Yeah. He's counting on you to help him. It's hard to think clearly. You're so cold and miserable. You wonder whether you should keep moving in spite of the storm, so you can continue on, or we should take, or we can take shelter. Um. Hmm. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I feel like, what What do you think? I feel like watching. Well, I feel like if we had watched something like Survivor Man or something on Netflix, and that would be good homework for this. But yeah, I mean, we're basically, just a this... pair of chumps going ah. <laughs> The sensible thing to do here would be to to wait it out, but yeah, I, I I'd say I'd say take shelter as well. I do. I I will take shelter, but I'm gonna feel incredibly guilty about Jake the entire time. <laughs> you know what? He can last a few days by himself. I think. Well, I think. I hope he'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know for sure, but I have a feeling Jake is pretty resilient. Yeah. You duck into the cave. What a relief to be out of the wind and snow. You grip your way deeper inside. The ground is soft. You take off a glove and feel pine needles and twigs. Getting down your hands and knees, you sweep them into a mound. You lay out your sleeping bag on this crudely fashioned bed and warily snuggle into it. While a storm rages outside, you sleep. This is the bear from... moment. This has got to be the bear moment. <laughs> well, I don't mean to alarm you. I've turned the page and there's our character waking up and looking straight forward and there's a skull in front of them in the illustration. <laughs> yes! So... <laughs> Excellent. You're awakened to the morning light shining into your cave. The sun is bright. The wind has died down. You feel stiff and your bones ache. You are very hungry, but your spirits are high. You've survived a night in the worst weather you've ever experienced. Before you leave, you look around inside the cave. The sunshine reveals some lumpy objects are exposed by your sweeping efforts the night before. When you look at them closely, you see that the cave served as a refuge for a mountain explorer once before. There is a mouldy canvas pack, a pick and a shovel, some rope and a frayed leather pouch. Then your eyes fasten on a pile of whitened bones, and you realise that you have spent the night with a human skeleton! Oh god! <laughs> wow, how much did I drink? This is horrifying, yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you just hate it when you go to a bar and you think you're picking up a hot chick, and you get home and you've got a skeleton? Oh, <laughs> It's supernaturally bad. <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> these are these are problems that every young necromancer faces in <laughs> Oh man. Oh uh, what travel sorry. Oh I was just gonna say, oh this this book is decidedly not supernatural though, so No. We're just either a really bad pickup artist or a really good pickup artist. <laughs> what traveller came to this cave, you wonder? When did he come and what happened to him? Too frightened to think more about... What, what happened to him? It's a skeleton. We have no idea. It's... Unless we're, like, able to analyse <laughs> the structure of their hips. Like, you, you come across a desiccated skeleton. Quickly, you examine its pelvis. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the skeleton was wearing a t-shirt that says... <laughs> oh, well, it was a, it was a pink baby doll tee, so... <laughs> that's all we need to know. So, where's a shirt saying I fuck on the first day yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> like, this skeleton had absolutely no tattoos so we alright anyway 
I had to take a second to think of what the funniest t-shirt a skeleton would wear. <laughs> That's pretty good, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, too frightened to think more about it. You stuff the pouch into your backpack and go on your way. This good weather may not last. You walk your way along a ri- along rock ridge, happy to find a path where the wind has blown most of the snow away. Hour after hour you travel, gradually descending to a more protected area. Groups of pine trees dot the wilderness landscape. You descend still farther, then the path rises again. Around noon, you finally reach the crest of the ridge. From this point, you can see smoke rising from a stovepipe sticking through the roof of a tumble-down cavern. It doesn't look like a ranger station, but who cares? Someone must be there. Oh, well, yeah. Anybody who lives in a cave with a built-in chimney is definitely going to be <laughs> someone who I'd seek out uh, in, in my time of need. You know what? If you manage to jury-rig a cave or a cabin to have a cool pipe, have a cool chimney sticking out of the top, I'm going to trust you implicitly. I don't know. Like, in my mind, (laughs) there's some, like, 1920s hobo types there just waiting to get the stabbing on. (laughs) (laughs) These guys still think World War One's going on. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) There are, like, actual bindles (laughs) happening in that cave, probably. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. The the best the best thing that's gonna happen in there is that you're gonna end up with a fresh can of beans. But other than that, I don't know. <laughs> you hurry across the new fallen snow toward the cabin. The first thing you see when you look through the window is a table near the door. It's covered with bread, cheese, sandwiches, fruit nuts, and chocolate. Then you see something that chills you even more than the cold you've endured. Beans. Boy... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Something that chills you even more than the cold you've seen, you've endured. A boy, a year or so younger than you, tied to a chair. His head is tilted to one side as if he were asleep. On the other side of the cabin is a burly man with the meanest face you've ever seen. He seems to be asleep, too, and you begin to hope that he is. Right next to him, leaning against the wall, are a hunting knife with a long blade and a double-barreled shotgun. The cabin door is open a crack. You pause at the door, wondering what to do. You need food, and the other boy seems to be in a lot of trouble. On the other hand, you've got to get help for Jake. You don't think you're going to get it here. I just want to take a moment to say, like, so we've, we found somebody refer, referring to them as a boy. Yeah. And we're saying they're a year or so younger than us. So presumably we are, like, early teens, I guess. Yeah, think, definitely not old enough for a big them. beard. <laughs> no. Which is why you bring the fake beard with us, of course. Yeah. Okay. So do you want to continue on our way? Do you want to slip in, grab some food, and run? Or do you want to try to grab the gun and the knife? We've got to grab the gun and the knife. I mean, if you're giving us that choice. Yeah, <laughs> that's there. We're going to do it. Let's do it. Yeah. Slowly, silently, hardly daring to breathe, you push the door open just wide enough to slip through. It creaks and the man in the chair gives a start as if he's about to wake up. Then he sinks back, still snoring, and you take a deep breath. The boy tied to the other chair is watching you intently. You put a finger to your lips to warn him to be quiet. Then you tiptoe past the sleeping man. You pick up the shotgun and the knife, then edge over to the boy. With quick, careful strokes, you cut the ropes binding him to the chair. The boy whispers, there's a road below the ridge, not too far away. Careful, that thing's loaded. Awakened by the noise, the big man leaps from his chair. You try to swing the gun around, but the man lunges at you. He wrenches the gun out of your hands and sends you sprawling across the floor. Out of the corner of your eye, you see the boy rush out the door. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> what a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Don't hurt me, you cry, trying to keep... You cry, trying to keep the man distracted. Stand at that corner and keep your hands up, he shouts. Then looking around, he yells, Hey, 
Where did that little devil go? With a shotgun in one hand and the knife in the other, he darts out the door. You look around the cabin. There's a label pasted on the radio. The bold red letters on the label read, Emergency Transmission Instructions. You read the instructions quickly. Within seconds, you have activated the emergency homing signal, which automatically gives your bearing to anyone who is monitoring the frequency. This seems risky. Yeah. <laughs> like, we said it wasn't a ranger's cabin. This dude had the kid tied to a chair. Now saying, like, activating the radio saying, hey, come find us. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I'm not sure why you would have that radio next to your kidnapping emporium. Mm, like, I, I feel like we're going to alert some kind of cartel. Yeah, there's definitely something going on here that, that goes way deeper than these two. <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay, fuck Jake. We, we've got to get to the bottom of this. Yeah, there's like child trafficking going on here. <laughs> yeah. All right, do you have time to escape before the man gets back? boy said there's a road not too far away, but it must be farther down the mountain. But the man might follow you, or you might get lost. You look out the door at the tracks in the snow. Neither the man nor the boy is visible. Even if he knows where he's going, that kid can't get very far. So he can run for it, or he can stay in the cabin. Hmm. So if I run for it, is the kid coming with me? Have they made that clear? Um, I think we're running to try and catch up with the kid as well. Oh, uh, okay, yeah, yeah, he's already gone. Um, yeah, yeah run for it. Alright. You run for your life. Jogging through the pine forest, keeping the sun on your right, you head east. The land ascends steeply. Within ten minutes or so, you're below the snow line. Now you'll be harder to track. Far below, you can see a tiny ribbon of concrete. The highway. You let out a whoop of joy and run down the path. Then slow your paces, you realise that if you trip and sprain your ankle, you'll be in trouble again. Another half hour is all it takes to reach the highway. Then you wait impatiently until you're able to flag down a car. Fortunately, there's a lumber camp only ten miles down the road, where you quickly telephone the police. You're relieved to be safe, but you won't rest easy until you hear that both Jake and that poor kid are safe too. The end. So in this ending, you abandoned two people to almost certain yes. death. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's a that's a hundred percent increase from the last ending. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is grim. This is really grim. Yeah. I I don't know. It's called Mountain Survivor. It's not Mountain Caring for Others. Yeah, I had no idea so much empathy would be required from me as a reader. (laughs) Uh, I want to see what happens if you stay in the cabin. Yeah, let's see what happens if you stay in the cabin. Because all Mm. things considered, if we're speaking realistically, that's what I probably would have done. (laughs) All right, the odds of you making it to the highway seem pretty slim. There's too much danger that the man with the gun will shoot at you. I mean, yes. Yeah. I don't know what kind of clothes we're wearing, but if we're running through the snow, we're probably going to be pretty easy to see. <laughs> and also on my list of, you know, three or four things uh, that guide my life, not getting shot at is pretty high on them. So. <laughs> Pissing off people with loaded guns, that's pretty high up on there as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you wait nervously. Soon you see the man returning, shoving the boy ahead of him. You've got to admire that kid. He made a nice try. A thought flashes through your mind. You switch off the radio. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Keep going. That was just awesome. <laughs> what is it? You've got to admire that kid. He made. He had a good run for it. Yeah, uh, that's like so. Like that's like something like a like a forty year old character with like a uh, like an inner city accent <laughs> would say. Like you gotta admire that kid. He made a run for it. Cigarettes and yeah. yeah, like having cigarettes and gravel for breakfast. It's surprisingly noir, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, sorry. Like, brings us back to, like, 
the idea that a character must have the beard. Yeah, yeah, this this is this book is written from the perspective of a twelve year old who like <laughs> runs a detective agency, apparently. Yeah. yeah. A thought flashes through your mind. You switch off the radio, better not to let the man know you've been using it. You stump in the corner, put your head in your arms, and pretend to cry. Oh. <sighs> oh. Stop bawling, the man yells at you as he shoves a boy in ahead of him. He ties the two of you back to back. The ropes are painfully tight. You begin to worry about your circulation. About an hour later, you hear a loud noise overhead. The man looks outside. You hear him cursing. Then through the open door, you see him run into the woods. The noise grows louder. A helicopter is landing outside the cabin. Moments later, two policemen storm inside. You've been saved and so is the boy. And now that the helicopter is here, you can guide the police to Jake. The end. (laughs) So that's that's a pretty good ending. Yeah, yeah. It's... uh... Very abrupt, once again, but it, it, yeah. it tied things up in a neat bow. Well, like, the Choose Your Own Adventure books usually have quite abrupt endings, um, just because they had limited pages and, like, they only had, like, a page or so to wrap up the entire thing, so you just go, and then the police are here and then it's over, bite. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I had kind of forgotten about this element of them, like, how unsatisfying it is, even when you, you get the, the, the proper choices and, and you you win the book, quote-unquote, it Still yeah. a little anticlimactic at the end there. Like the fighting fantasy ones, where it's just going on a big journey from start to finish, do have some of that as well. Like some of the endings, make you go, oh, "Okay, that was pretty good." Like it goes into detail, and then there's some of them where it's just like, "You meet the president." He says, "Hey, great job, buddy." The end. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the vibe I got from here. But we did it. So all <laughs> we right, did it. I kind of want to like get to the bottom of this. I mean, we can go back to an earlier choice with the guy in the cabin with the hostage. Where we can either like we can continue on our way, we can, or we can slip in, grab some food, and run. Because grabbing the gun, the knife, uh, took us to those two endings. Yeah, let's let's grab the food then, because uh, yeah, I do kind of want to know what's going on more with this hostage situation. It just seems so strange that they just throw this in there and wouldn't embellish it any further, like. Maybe this is the supernatural part. Maybe the kid's actually possessed by a demon, surely? Yeah, and... it's it's got to be something like that. Or maybe this is an elaborate ruse set to uh, yeah. trap unsuspecting uh, survivalists. So the kid can rob us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you tiptoe inside the cabin. As you reach for a sandwich, a deep voice behind you says, you can put that back and then get your hands up. Somehow you awakened the heavyset man. He's holding a shotgun aimed at your head. Before you know it, he's tied your hands and shoved you down next to the boy's chair. What's going on, you whisper to the boy. Shut up, the man yells. He makes little circles in the air with the muzzle of his gun. Oof. Threat. Nice and threatening, making circles in the air. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing that scares me more than circles. <laughs> Just getting flashbacks to math class. Yeah, exactly. An hour later, when the man goes outside to gather firewood, you and the boy have a chance to talk. I'm Chauncey Van Dyne, the boy says. Whoa, his name is actually Chauncey. <laughs> Like Chauncey Van Dyne. You're not making this... that up. That's really his name in the book. <laughs> yes. That's incredible. All right. I sorry. wish I was making that up. My family is very rich. Uh, of course That's they are. Here. Your name is Chauncey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do like my Richie Rich, um, bright young youth voice. My family is very rich. That's why I'm here. Two men kidnapped me from one of our hunting lodges about 20 miles from here at Elk Falls. The other man is trying to collect a ransom. A million dollars from my dad. This man, his name is Gino, says that unless he gets a radio message from his partner by Sandown telling him he has collected the money, 
he's going to shoot me. And I guess he'll shoot you too. Can your dad pay a million dollars, you ask? This, this is a 1983 million dollars, by the way. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sure, that's no problem, Chauncey says. I'm just afraid that Gino's partner won't keep his end of the deal. Once he gets the money, he may not wait around to radio Gino. Do you have any ideas what we could do, you ask? But Chauncey can't answer because at that moment, Gino kicks the door open and staggers in with an armful of wood. You sit quietly, trying to think of something to do. You start to sweat. Time passes. The sun drops lower in the sky. Finally, Gino steps outside again. Meanwhile, you've had a couple of ideas. They both seem like one shot, but you're desperate. You could try to pick up Gino's knife with your teeth and cut the ropes tying your hands. Or you could try to reason with Gino, perhaps even make friends with him, so that he won't hurt you and Chauncey. So he can pick up the knife, or he can talk to Gino when he comes back. <laughs> so, um, I, I have a feeling this isn't going to go anywhere, but I would really like to talk to Gino just to see what, uh, what progresses. Yeah, like, I know the vibe I'm getting from this. I feel like either Gino or the guy he's working with, one of them's going to end up in a wood chipper at the end of this story. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right. You start talking to Gino the moment he comes back. You don't feel friendly, but you act friendly, saying everything you can to win Gino's confidence. You find out that he's almost as scared as you and Chauncey are, scared that the police will swoop in, scared that his partner will take off with a million dollars, and most of all, scared of the idea of killing you. I don't have a million dollars, but I wish I could help you, you say. About all I could offer you is my bike. <laughs> like, we've got a pilot's license. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. We were flying a plane, now we're all like, well, gee... I've got a push bike I can offer you. <laughs> and Gina's going to be like, wow, does that have freestyle pegs? <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm fucking 45 and a hardened criminal, but this bike sounds really appealing. Does it have tassels? Do the I wheels do make sounds? <laughs> can I put a, put a card in between the spokes to make it sound like a motorbike? Yeah. Does it have a basket for my puppy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Gino. Oh, bless your heart. Okay. Yeah. Gino smiles grimly. Wouldn't do me much good, I'm afraid. I'm going to need a space shuttle to get away from all the cops that will be after me, and I guess I'm going to have to forget about my half million share. The pink glow that filled the cabin has faded. The sun has set. Gino fingers the shotgun. He stands up and looks at you for a long time. Then he looks at Chauncey. Suddenly he raises the gun and swings it around. That's intimidating. Yeah. You hunch over and hide your face in your arms. A blast deafens you, but you're still alive. Was that Chauncey? Are you next? You double over, shaking. The door slams and you open your eyes. Chauncey is staring at you open-mouthed. The radio has been smashed to pieces by the shotgun blast and Gino is gone. He was too decent to kill us, Chauncey says. Maybe he wanted to make sure you didn't radio for help. Maybe he'll get away. There's a full moon tonight. For a moment, you almost hope he does. The end. <laughs> full moon. We're, we're getting right full, back full into moon. the lycanthropy. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's going to get killed by Jake. Yeah. That's how this book ends. <laughs> that's, that's the subtext here. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, he he didn't want to kill us outright, but he just destroyed our radio, left us tied to a chair in the, this rich idiot yeah. in, the, in mid the middle of nowhere. Yeah, while well, it's a blizzard. And, yeah. Yeah, that seems way more humane. <laughs> Oh, okay. I want to see what happens if we pick up the knife. Because it said we can either, like, talk to Chauncey, no, talk to Gino, or pick up the knife and do something there. Yeah, pick up the knife. All right. It's now or never. You roll across the floor, seize the knife handling your teeth, sit up and start to cut the rope binding your wrists together. You can't get much pressure on the knife. You're worried that you'll break some teeth as you bite on it. 
but the knife is sharp as a razor. In a few seconds, you've cut through. You've also cut your arm. It hurts and blood is trickling down your arm, but you hardly notice. You quickly cut through the ropes binding your legs and then cut Chauncey's ropes. We have just turned... In seconds, we turned into an action star. <laughs> yeah, there's like some mini Bruce Willis happening here. Yeah. The moment Chauncey is free, he grabs a shotgun. I know how to use this, he says. <laughs> of course. Moments later, Gino returns. Chauncey points the shotgun and backs him into the corner. Yeah, his parents taught him how to hunt poor people. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> when, while Chauncey guards Gino, you try to get the radio working. Through trial and error, you are able to make it work. By sunset, you're in touch with the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Don't let your prisoner move, the Mounties tell you. We'll have a helicopter there at dawn. You and Chauncey exchange glances. It's going to be a long, tense night. Gino is beginning to look nervous. Maybe we should try to tie him up so he can't jump so he can't jump you. So we can tell Chauncey to hold the gun on Gino while we tie him up. Or we can tell Chauncey that he should just watch Gino instead. Oh, tie him up for sure. Yeah. Seems seems alright. Yeah. You, tr- you try to tie up Gino, but in a flash he whips you around, starting like an enraged animal. Oh! <laughs> I suppose this is what happens when children try to overpower a grown-ass That's man. That's probably true. <laughs> he lunges at Chauncey and grabs the shotgun. You start toward the door, but out of the corner of your eye, you see Gino bring the butt of the gun down on your skull. The last thing you'll ever see. Oh. The end. <laughs> so. Not upbeat. Yeah. We got killed by a grown man. Yeah. I awful alright so let's tell Chauncey to just watch Gino instead yeah Chauncey has the shotgun aimed at Gino but you're beginning to feel uncomfortable Gino is glaring at you his fists are clenched you're sure he's planning something look you whispered to Chauncey he's getting panicky if we take our eyes off him even for a second he could grab this gun in one flying leap I'll watch you rest for an hour then I'll rest and you guard him for an hour it's going to have to be that way until help comes Chauncey nods in agreement and hands you the gun he seems like a tough kid but he's younger than you you don't like the thought of taking in that body stands guard. By the time an hour has passed, your eyes ache. You like to close them for a few seconds, but you don't dare. Chauncey is sound asleep. Like, Fucking Chauncey. This is called mountain survival. Yeah. This is called mountain survival, not like hostage situation. Yeah. Um, this has taken a severe turn. It definitely has. So do you want to wake up Chauncey and let him stand guard? Or do you decide it's safer to stand guard yourself? Um, Probably safer to stand guard yourself. I don't trust anyone named Chauncey. <laughs> Well, of course. You decide to let Chauncey sleep. You stare at Gino, who finally seems calmer. It looks as if he's catching up on his sleep. The night seems endless. If only morning would come. Your head nods and you jerk it up as you realise you're beginning to doze. That was a close call. You'll be more careful from now on. And you are more careful, for an hour or so. But eventually the need for sleep overpowers you. You don't hear the man stealing across the room, carefully lifting the gun out of your lap, and pulling the trigger. The end. Man, that's dark. (laughs) Yeah. That's... So I really rough. So I guess we've got to enlist the help of our young rich friend. Yeah, stick to the plan. Like, just get shot to death by, <laughs> by this hardened criminal named Gino. Wow. Okay. Yeah. You wake up, Chauncey. Throughout the night, you take turns standing guard, changing places every hour. When morning comes, Gino is still huddled in the corner. Chauncey opens a can of tuna and shoves a plate and shoves a plate of tuna and bread across the floor to your prisoner. For a second, you think Gino is going to lunge at you instead of taking his breakfast. You level the shotgun right at him. Suddenly, Chauncey shrieks, Yippee! You're so excited that it's hard to keep the gun level as you hear the whirring racket made by a helicopter landing outside the cabin. Two weeks have passed since your rescue. You're back home, laughing at a postcard from Jake. I've decided to move to Florida, he writes. All right! 
like I didn't realize that I was setting that up for a punchline. Later it's on. great. It's like a comedy callback accidentally. Yeah, I love when this happens. <laughs> Aside to move to Florida, he writes, where the highest mountain is only 300 feet high. And there's manatees. <laughs> Would you like to hear my there's new a... rap song? <laughs> <laughs> the year is 1983. Like, does it say that on the sign when you uh, when you cross state border? Welcome to Florida, the highest mountain is only 300 feet high. <laughs> no, it's some, some bullshit about the Suwannee River, I believe. Bleh. <laughs> Suddenly you hear the sound of a helicopter landing right outside your house. You run up and see Chauncey and two men stepping onto the lawn. Chauncey runs to greet you, then introduces you to his father and the chopper pilot. I came to thank you for rescuing my son, Mr. Van Dyne says, and to pay you the $50,000 reward I offered for Chauncey's safe return. <laughs> like, I know, oh, I know wow. it's cynical to laugh about that now, because obviously this was released a long time ago, but the idea of $50,000 for that is kind of comical. <laughs> Like, we bought you a cool skateboard. <laughs> $50,000? Why? It's, it's 1983. With that, I can buy a, a house. Yeah, it's almost and... enough to pay off my parents' mortgage. Oh. This is the Later sad after... reality. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. If you want to support the podcast, why not go to patreon.com forward slash adventure pod where you can pledge a little bit per episode. <laughs> <laughs> Later, after the Van Dynes have left, you put your cheque for $50,000 in your top bureau drawer. You'll deposit it in the bank tomorrow. I cannot place our character's age. Like, it <laughs> says that we rescued this kid's son. He's just a year younger than us. But also, we've got a bureau? Yeah. Uh, and we call it that? And a checking account. <laughs> yeah. As you think about your good fortune, you remember the leather pouch you took from the cave up on the mountain. You rolled it up in your backpack and never got around to looking inside it. You pull the backpack out of your closet. The pouch is still there. You open it and carefully lift out a tattered sheet of paper. To whoever finds this letter. As I write this, I have not long to live. I broke my leg searching for the gold that, according to... Yes! (laughs) I'm so excited right now. I I can't believe this. The gold that, according to Native American legend, lies in this cave. I found what may be one of the richest veins of gold ore in the world, but all for nothing. (laughs) No one knows I am here, so I shall never leave this cave alive. I own the deed to this land, and I hereby will to you who have found this cave, all this gold, and this poor pile of bones that was once the undersigned Horace Witherby, Vancouver, British Columbia. I swear to God I did not read this book before we started, like... (laughs) Maybe I should write Choose Your Own Adventure books for a living. (laughs) You know what? That would actually be fantastic. Like, Twine is free, and it's real good fun. That's true. <laughs> At first, you're thrilled about finding this letter. Good luck piled upon good luck. Then you think about the poor man who wrote it. How, in his eagerness to find gold, he lost his life. Greed can be dangerous, it seems. Maybe it's not a good idea to go after the gold. The thought of returning to that cave gives you the chills. You've got plenty of time to think about it. And meanwhile, you've got $50,000. Oh no. Oh wow. You've got $50,000. You might just go out and buy a new stereo or even buy Jake a new airplane. <laughs> Those are two things that are in the same realm of affordability. <laughs> yeah. For $50,000, I'll buy a jet. Why not? Or oh. a boombox. <laughs> oh, 1983.
Oh man, that was uh, okay. I I was very surprised by the hidden gold at the end, but now yeah. I feel like this book has <laughs> has done everything I wanted it to do, and I'm like super pleased. Well, actually, there is one thing that it hasn't done yet. The wolves. Dot dot dot. Yet, okay. Let's go back to a choice that I don't think we've actually ever seen at all in the book, but there's an illustration and I want to read through it. Okay. You decide that you have to trust your own sense of direction. You turn left and follow the creek. After travelling another hour, you see a ridge up ahead. You go eagerly toward it. From the top of the ridge, you hope to be able to see the ranger station. Suddenly, about 40 yards away, looking right at you, is a huge bear! Bears! <laughs> yeah! All right, now it's done everything that we wanted. Yes, okay. This, yeah, this hit all of the all of the beats I was hoping for. Yeah. Tanis' turn. It's a grizzly, one of the largest, meanest, and most dangerous bears in the world. It takes a step towards you, then another, then stops and stares as if trying to decide what to do. It rears up and stands at its full height. Seven feet tall. Is it about to charge? Okay, so we can either stay absolutely still, so as not to alarm the bear, or we can run for our life. Um, number one, stay still. I know how. I know how this works. All right. You stand as still as a statue. A moment later, the bear drops back on all fours, shakes itself, and lumbers off. You wait a few minutes and then cautiously continue up to the top of the ridge. There, sheltered by some pine trees, is a small wooden structure. For a minute, you think it might be the ranger station, but when you throw open the rickety door, you realize that it's only an abandoned trapper's cabin, empty except for a couple of old chairs and wooden crates that must once have served as a table. Nearby on the floor is a crumpled piece of yellow paper. You pick it up and straighten it out as flat as possible. It's a map of the area. And they've actually got a little illustration of a map. I kind of want to see what happens if we run for our life from the bear, though, because that should be funny. Yeah, let's do that. You run as fast as you ever have in your life. The ground is rough. You stumble. Screaming, you get back on your feet and run. But the bear is charging. There's no chance of outrunning it. There's no place to hide. There is no chance of escape. The end. <laughs> All right. Do you want to keep going with um, the thing where we managed to avoid the bear? Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Cool. Um, isn't that the, like the thing about like trying to get away from bears? Like if you climb up a tree, if you're being chased by a brown bear, it'll climb up climb up the tree and get you. If you're being chased by a grizzly bear, it'll push the tree over and get you. Yeah, I've heard this. I don't know how true any of that is, but uh, yeah, I've definitely heard it as well. Basically, stay as far away from a bear as you can. Don't bring honey or nuts or Snickers bars with you if you go hiking. Yeah, and if you're camping, I... you need to hang your Doritos from a tree branch. I learned this. So. <laughs> oh, jeez. No. Oh, All right. The map is your best clue to the direction of the ranger station. You take it outside and look around. The creek you followed to get here curves to the left of the cavern. Just beyond the cavern, there is a trail which goes only a few yards, and then splits into two separate trails, one to the left and the other to the right. So, I think we're supposed to, like, look at the map, and then... Oh, by the way, on the map it's got written, Abandoned Gold Mine, as well. <laughs> well, let's go towards the Abandoned Gold Mine. Yeah. There's also something that says, Disappointment Peak. And... <laughs> That, like I don't know, <laughs> I I don't know if that's like, like saying this uh, is named Disappointment Peak or this is the point in my adventure where my disappointment reached a peak. <laughs> Either way, I'm willing to bet that the abandoned gold mine will be a far more lucrative uh, proposition. Yeah. All right. So the creepy follow to get here curves the left of the cavern. Um. So we can either yeah, if we follow the creek, that will probably take us towards, um, Table Rock. Turn right, I think, will take us to the ranger station. And following, and turning left might take us to the abandoned gold mine, I think. So, I mean, like... Yeah, let's do the left. 
I think we have to, surely. Definitely. You, you follow the left fork of the trail along what seems to be a natural passageway between jagged peaks that rise thousands of feet on either side of you. Some of the nearby rocks glisten with yellow and brown specks. What is that stuff? It's gold. Gold ore! <laughs> you may- <laughs> Excellent reading, by the way. I'm trying to, like, channel the old-timey prospectors. <laughs> Gold! <laughs> Gold! What is that stuff? You may have made a big discovery, if you can just get out alive. As you hurry along, you see more of the precious ore. How can there be so much of it? Then it dawns on you. It can't be real gold you've been looking at, but only the common mineral pyrite, better known as fool's gold. Mm. <sighs> Sad trombones. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going I'm to put them in right here, actually. <laughs> okay. Moments later, you realise you've made an even bigger mistake. For your path ahead is blocked by great rock walls that curve around on both sides. You've reached the end of the trail. You backtrack, moving as fast as you can over the rough uphill terrain. Finally, you reach the deserted cabin once again, but two precious hours of daylight have been wasted. Okay, so we can either follow the creek or take the right fork. Um, I'm pretty sure taking the right fork takes us to where we're supposed to be going, so we can maybe get a good ending. Yeah, let's do it. Or it might just kill us. Yeah, one we'll or the out. other. <laughs> <laughs> the path to the right is a fairly gentle one. You make good progress across a high plateau dotted with groves of stubby pines. The only things that can survive at this high altitude. Finding that map in the abandoned cabin was a stroke of luck. Without it, you would hope- be hopelessly lost, but now you feel sure you're heading the right way. You continue on, hour after hour, but your strength is failing. So all you can do is put one heavy foot in front of the other. You have only one thought, to keep moving. And page 56. You continue straight ahead through rocky terrain, studded with clumps of stubby pine trees. You glimpse a luminous disc of the sun as the clouds stand up momentarily. We've read this yes, before. Yes, okay. So we've, all right. we've reached a loop point. A little bit, yeah. Um... Do you want to call it there? I can try and find some other good deaths for us to end the show on. Yeah, no, I feel like whenever whenever you're ready, I'm ready. I think it's been good. Cool. Um, I, think we fa- I think we already found most of the good deaths. Yeah, it seems pretty simple. So. Yeah. No, that sounds good to me. Cool. Um, in that case, yeah. Um, that has been Mountain Survival, and that has been this episode of Podger and Adventure. Uh, quickly, book report. What did you think of that? Uh, it was pretty bad. Um, I definitely, <laughs> I got the impression I was reading a survival manual, but with, uh, you know, yeah. some arbitrary choices put in. Well, I mean, like, that kind of just felt like the author was going, should have done your research on this one, kid. Yeah, exactly. Like, I felt scolded at several points when we reached deaths. <laughs> Because I hadn't yeah. taken the time to research whether to climb up the middle or the edge of a gully. <laughs> yeah, like no, most of the time, the disdain for the reader comes from Earl Stein's books. But um, yeah. <laughs> if, by the way, any new listeners uh, to the show, um, you should go and check out some of the "Give Yourself Goosebumps" episodes that we've done. They are a fantastic journey inside Earl Stein's mind. <laughs> and if that sounds appealing to you, then. <laughs> it probably won't after you've listened to the first episode and may god have mercy upon your soul <laughs> um yeah like that kind of did feel like the author was going look at how much i know about survival this is going to be fantastic that is true except um, for the weird u-turn that it took you know depending on the choices you made about child trafficking yeah. so. <laughs> like it seemed like the best ending in there was to like follow the hostage situation side plot and 
pull a gun on a grown man. <laughs> I I love the the concept of a book that you know balances gritty survivalist stories with the adventure of a rich boy named Chauncey. <laughs> well, of course, yes. Uh, so yeah, marks out of five. Uh four point eight five. Let's do two. That seems about right. <laughs> I mean, that's only fair. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely chosen better adventures in the past, so I'm going to say it too. <laughs> I am looking at the front cover of this, and it's like a compass, and then northwest, north, no, southwest is a bear, southeast is a kid freezing in a blizzard, northeast is somebody climbing up a mountain, northwest is a helicopter exploding <laughs> like it's a Steven Seagal movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is also probably could have functioned as a legend for the book, uh... Like, if you would have known what direction yeah. these fates led in. <laughs> I don't think any helicopters have exploded so far. The... I, I'll need to go back and double check, but I don't think any helicopters explode. But otherwise, yeah, that seems to pretty, be pretty fair. Five out of five. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> um, Jay, thank you very much for coming on the show. Is there anything you'd like to talk about? Um, no, just, you know, as mentioned at the head of the show, uh, I Don't Even Own a Television is a podcast I do uh, where me and my co-host, Chris... And guests uh, talk about books that are not good, um, usually don't involve the choosing of one's own adventures. But, uh, you know, we talk about Harlequin romance novels sometimes. Sometimes oh, we talk about <laughs> bestsellers that shouldn't be bestsellers. And, you know, it's just kind of... kind of. Sometimes you talk about the rapture. That's true. We do. Um, we've talked about Left Behind. So generally, I, I would say it's just a podcast where we talk about books that you probably don't want to read. So um, maybe check that yeah. out. It's on iTunes or I don't even own a television dot com. And I'm on Twitter at Satellite High. So say hello. Mm. Um, yeah, that I think that's pretty much it. Um, follow us on iTunes as well. We are Podger and Adventure. Um, follow us on Tumblr if you do that thing. And we're on Twitter at AdventurePod. Come to the live show if you're in or near London. Loading bars are fantastic venue tickets are free you'll see me on stage trying not to have an anxiety attack and mostly screaming for an hour and a half awesome um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you jay for coming on the show once more oh well thank you for having me it's been great and thank you at home for listening bye bye, bye.